Welcome to the Speaking of Phenomenal podcast. I'm your host, Amy Boyle, internationally published photographer and entrepreneur. For the last two years, I've shined a light on weekly stories through the 52 Phenomenal Women Project, a social platform and community celebrating women for what makes them phenomenal right now. Spoiler alert, we don't raise our hands often enough to celebrate our unique qualities that make us all who we are. Yes, you guessed it, phenomenal. What I know for sure is sharing of our empowering stories must continue, and that is why I created the Speaking of Phenomenal podcast. Sharing the mic weekly with phenomenal women all over the world while we embrace what right now makes each of us phenomenal and therefore uplifting each other when we need it the most. Thank you for joining our community. I am so glad you're here. Speaking of phenomenal, you know who is? You are. Welcome, Amanda, to the Speaking of Phenomenal podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Thinking back, we had the great fortune to meet through a friend of ours at one of your book signings in Chicago for Chasing Light, and then again in Seattle, of all places, um, while you were recording an episode for Creative Live. And I think how fortunate that um, those two interactions have been, because then you were even a part of the 52 Phenomenal Women Project, which will be linked in the show notes so people can read about that. But I would love you to give an introduction to the audience at home here. Well, thanks. Yeah. And that's a great example of how when these women keep popping up in your life, pay attention, right? So, um, you know, now we've known each other for several years and had, uh, you know, several interactions. And so I'm grateful to be here today and to um, have the opportunity to engage with your listeners. I guess um, a brief introduction is... um, I, my name's Amanda. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> photographer and uh, filmmaker, a teaching artist, and author. Um, I, uh, I guess, started my career as a, a photojournalist, and then, um, uh, then sort of evolved my career to um, work at the White House as Michelle Obama's um, official photographer. And following my time there, I you know, wrote the book that you mentioned, Chasing Light and Reach Higher, and have done some speaking engagements and currently run a program called Grounded in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of all of those things. You alluded to that you started in photojournalism. Where did your passion for photography and storytelling come from? Well, an interesting thing is I'm one of 10 children. So, you know, I grew up in a very busy household. Um, and I think when I was about 13 years old, a family friend gave me a old Yashica uh, film camera. It was all manual and a little bit beat up, but um, it was uh, for me a way that I could explore my, the world around me, you know, it became my buddy, my companion. Um, so I was able to sort of venture out of the busy household and find some quiet and peace and use photography as a means for, you know, analyzing for sharing my thoughts and observations and feelings without words. So um, photography has always been um, sort of an important part of my ways of communication. Um, we're very similar in that sense as I, I would won a camera when I was probably 10, 11 years old. And same thing. It went yeah. with me everywhere. <laughs> um, where did you go to school? I went to school um, at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I'm from, I'm from outside Philly. So I went to um, a school that was sort of 
far enough from where I lived, about four hours from where I lived, the other side of the state of Pennsylvania, but also in state. So I was able to keep uh, my um, in, in state uh, loans and tuition. And um, like I said, you know, being from a big family with not a lot of money, I wanted to make, I had to go to the school that I could afford. I wanted to make a smart decision about that. Um, and so uh, I majored in communications and um, had a minor in journalism and a, a specialization in photography. It was basically, like I say, the scrappy kid's way to um, carve out a photojournalism degree. Um, so, you know, when I was coming out of college, I was, you know, competing with the, you know, former students who had been through the, you know, high level photography schools. And so, you know, I was finding myself, you know, taking the unpaid internship or trying to convince people why they should give me a job and give me a chance. And, um, you know, it was a lot of that um, until I was able to sort of get the experience working for newspapers, um, get the confidence, um, you know, in my skill set, and then also be able to build up my portfolio so that I was able to get, you know, a, a staff photography job eventually. How does someone go from a staff photographer to maybe a local newspaper to White House photographer for a first lady? What's your journey? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I worked for newspapers for about seven years, which I think that was really important for me to be able to really develop my craft and my skills. And, you know, you know, being a photographer that, uh, you know, there's what you think is going to happen and what actually happens on an assignment. So learning how to troubleshoot on the fly, you know, and how to stay calm and how to figure things out. I mean, that was really all important for setting up the, um, setting up the path to the white house. So I could do that job effectively. But, it, um, during 2008, during the recession, I left the newspaper. Um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall as people were starting to get laid off and, you know, made a leap of faith to, to look for a, a city that was rich with news and I was going to start my own freelance business. So I moved to Washington, DC and, um, and, you know, started out there. I had a pretty hard time breaking into the industry because I, you know, forgot to account that it's like a super competitive market. Um, but, you know, slowly I began to build up work and working on my own projects and um, those projects, you know, while they weren't being po promised to be published or, or even being paid for it, the most of them were self-funded. It was this work that I was doing um, that started to win me awards. So I was working on a series of films and photo stories about same-sex couples impacted by the Defense of Marriage Act. And so I began to win awards. And with these awards came invitations to attend events with prominent leaders in the industry. And at one of these events, I met Pete Souza, who you all know is President Obama's photographer. And, uh, you know, he's someone that I really had admired and looked up to his work. So that when I met him, I was obviously really intimidated. And I didn't think I said that much. And I wasn't sure that I even made a great impression. But about a year and a half later, he called me up and invited me to apply for the First Lady's, Michelle Obama's uh, photography position. And um, yeah, I was definitely... Uh, shock it was definitely a call that I hadn't expected to receive, um, but I was really grateful for the opportunity. Oh, I can only imagine that call and that day, that day, just because, uh, yeah, like you said, though, I think there's something to be said for the going back to like even troubleshooting the old film camera 
and how to keep calm under pressure. All these things set you up. Not only are your skills important for like the actual output of the imagery, but right. your demeanor and how you can handle and navigate an event. I mean, that right. takes a lot of trust, as I would imagine a White House photographer. It's just beyond, you know. Right. Yeah, I love that you say trust because that is really important. It's really important in the work we do, trust and intention. And I, you know, people feel that. So whether it's the White House or whether it's telling a story in your community, it's like if you show up, you know, with the right intention and you build that trust, I mean, you are going to take better images, you know, and if you're not a photographer, you're going to make better relationships, you know, because you're listening and you're open and you're, you're wanting to learn. Um, so I'm glad that you, you brought up that, those, those words. It comes into play so often. I remember one of my first big press events in Chicago was um, for Love, Loss, and What I Wore with Nora and Delia Efron. And I was at this press event. Mm-hmm. The Kennedys were there and all these folks were there. And I was told to yeah. capture these in this list of images. It was respectfully distance. And then all of a sudden, um, Nora caught my eye. And she's she kind of wait, flags me over. And she's like, thank you for connecting with me like one-on-one before you just started snapping photos. Mm-hmm. And I just, and I still think about it. I'm like, well, yeah, I wasn't just going to like, you know, come at you total paparazzi style or anything yeah. like that. That's just how I'm wired. Right. But it was really, I think about that every time, you know, just because someone's in a public space doesn't, you know, they need to warm up to you, need to warm up to them. They need right. to know that you're looking for them in the best light and all the right. things so that we can help tell their stories as well. So exactly, yeah, trust, trust is huge. It's mm-hmm. without it. I don't think there's, we're just not telling the full story, you know? Right. Absolutely. Thinking about being in the white house, what was it like to be, especially for the second term, you were the only female photographer at that time. Is that correct? Yeah. So there were um, two photographers, two female photographers in the role before me. So I worked for the last four years. So before that, um, there was um, Samantha Appleton, an incredible photographer, Sonia Hebert, uh, who was in the role previously to me. Um, but during my time there in that four years, there were five photographers on staff and I was the only female. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a, being a White House photographer, serving in that role is a unique position. Not many people have had that role. Um, and even far fewer women have had that role and, you know, far less people of color, you know, so um, it was meaningful to have the opportunity to be in that role and to empower other women by showing what's possible. Um, but I do feel that throughout the photography profession, that there's a great need for gender and racial equality. And each of us has our own unique vision based on our experiences and insights. And without diversity, we're really missing a wide range of perspectives. From your perspective in particular, how do you Mm -hmm. think you saw things differently? I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but between you and like Pete, for for instance, like how you saw things to how he was seeing things and also maybe even what you were able to cover. Is there, was there a wide difference in that area? Yeah. So, um, you know, Pete was with President Obama, you know, all the time. And um, while I covered President Obama as well, because you know, as a White House photographer, you you make sure that you're photographing for history. So sometimes on big events, there could be two, three, or even the all five photographers covering an event. Um, so, so I really appreciated having the opportunity to do both. 
Um, and I'm sure there's, there's things that I brought as a female and brought with my experiences and my insights and things that I particularly connected with Mrs. Obama over, um, as, as do, does every photographer, right? You come with, you know, that sort of shapes how you see, we all have an optic nerve. We all see, you know, but the way that our brain processes information and then how we share that with the world is really, is really unique. Um, so um, what I really wanted to challenge myself to do while I was at the White House is not just to take the historical photographs, you know, the, um, the ones that were important for the archive, because that's the role of the and responsibility of a White House photographer. But, you know, I wanted to also take pictures that were candid and intimate and, you know, provided another layer of information um, about what the first lady was really like, you know, um, I think photography is a unique way to create bridges of understanding. And, um, and so, you know, I, I wanted to challenge myself to be able to, to, to both fulfill my role as a white house photographer, but also my personal goal of taking those kinds of, um, those kinds of images. Like how you said how the first lady was seen, um, you wanted to show all aspects of her personality. Now that you've had time outside the White House, has a favorite moment or time changed? Or are certain moments that you captured just as strong today as they were the first time you saw them? Yeah, I mean, there's different pictures that resonate you with you more on days, depending on what you're experiencing or going through or, you know, um, like being a about to be another, you know, a mom to another child again, you know, I love that picture of her with her daughters on the Great Wall of China. Um, there's a picture that I particularly resonated with lately of her on a boat in Venice. And it's just a really quiet, reflective moment and sort of thinking about all that we've been through in this last year of a pandemic. And, you know, these, we are all having these uh, strong, powerful, quiet, reflective moments. And, um, and so that has kind of resonated more lately, but yeah, I mean, the overall experience had really impacted my life, both professionally and personally. With the book Chasing Light, which is um, all about your time with First Lady Michelle Obama, um, but now that you have reaching higher for youth readers, how are they perceived differently as far as the impact that the second book is making for children today? Because I think that's wonderful that that's an option out there for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Reach Higher is, you know, for young readers and um, it's a fun adaptation because, you know, working at the White House, there's a lot of interesting facts and stories, you know, behind the rooms and the first families that use the rooms. And um, so I thought that was a fun way to incorporate a lot of the history, you know, have the photos and have the messages of Chasing Light, but really um, also share those things that I always thought were so fascinating when I was waiting for my assignments to begin. Um, and so, you know, I hope that it, it teaches young people the transformative power of the arts, you know, that you can really do anything that you set your mind to. And, and that, you know, something that the, you know, President Obama, Mrs. Obama said, um, uh, try to um, share with the world is that the White House is really the people's house and everybody um, is welcome and everybody should feel comfortable. And I think they really did that in all of their initiatives. And I hope that you're able to see that through the photos. Um, 
I think that's what's really great about having the companion book is because there are things that all of us are curious, right? We're all, we can kind of satisfy our inner child as well. Like I want to know about paint color and history and the pets and which rooms and maybe favorite foods and all that sort of thing. So that's a fun way to have both, but also again, taken from um, your creative eye and aspect and, um, attention to detail. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And I thought it'd be fun for, you know, parents and children to sort of be able to read kind of the same-ish book, but come back with different, you know, different things that they're interested in so you can share. And so hopefully that it's, it can be a family experience as well. Well, and even in the title, you know, Reach Higher, there, right mm-hmm. now that resonates so largely with um, my own children and people that I'm interacting with. Like, you know, unless you see yourself like um, Vice President Kamala right now, I mean, you don't know that you can do these things until you right. see yourself. You don't know you can be a female photographer for the White House until you see someone has done it, these kind of things. So it's so important, again, for um, to be recognized and seen and, and to show that it, it's hard work no matter how you get into whatever business you go into. But there's other people out there like you. Right. Yeah. No, even if there isn't, even if you're the first in your field. And that field is like, you know, there's other women in, in other fields that you can reach out to for support. And that's really kind of what it's all about is women empowering women. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, phenomenal listeners. I want to take a moment to talk to you about something very important, your feedback. We're always striving to make speaking a phenomenal the best it can be. And your thoughts play a huge role in that process. So whether you're nodding along in agreement or have some constructive criticism, we want to hear it all. Just head to the link in the show notes and let your voice be heard. And now back to this week's phenomenal episode. Well, speaking about youth, I would love, since we're going to get into a lot more about grounded, which I just, I I'm completely fascinated by, and I love the work that you do. So please tell me like, where did all your um, passion again for, and commitment to inspiring youth to helping um, through the visual arts, where did all that come from for you? Mm -hmm. I really connected with Mrs. Obama's passion for the arts, especially the work she did with turnaround arts. Um, Turnaround arts was a program she, that was implemented in struggling schools across the country that showed if you integrated arts into schools, like not just in art classes, but all day long, that you can actually turn around the schools. And so, you know, being around that um, reminded me of the transformational power of arts in my own life. And, you know, growing up, we didn't have very much money. And my siblings and I, you know, we had to use our imagination to create games and to entertain ourselves. And uh, I think that the scarcity of uh, material things and sometimes that even included food really challenged us to be creative, to be resilient and to be grateful. And I think uh, having pursued this career in photography and the arts like really opened up so many doors for me, including the doors to the White House. And I wanted to share that power of possibility with young people. And it ties into a message that I heard Mrs. Obama say time and time again, again that it doesn't matter where you start with hard work, dedication, and commitment, anything's possible. And that's really what the American dream is all about. So then 
you leave the White House and did Grounded start right away. Tell me how how did that all begin? Um, well, I left the White House. I I had a baby a few, you know, <laughs> right, like right at the end of the White House. I was after the White House. I was figuring out, you know, the biggest project of my life: how to be a mother. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then after that, shortly after that, I wrote Chasing Light and um, and then had the great experience to go on a book tour and and then write reach higher. So I think it was about, um, it's kind of hard to say where Grounded began because, you know, our co-founders, we were all on, on our own separate journeys and we came together with deep desire to use our unique gifts to share stories with the world to help create understanding and empathy and connection and ultimately a sense of peace. Um, we knew about the powerful combination of arts and mindfulness in our, in our own work and in our personal lives um, and how it had deeply impacted us. And we wanted to share these collaborative experiences with others. And so we began to ask questions and answer them through creative experiments, um, such as, you know, what if Jukin, which is a unique form of Memphis style dance, dance, what if Jukin can reduce gun violence? And what if an art installation could transform a homicide site into a place of healing? And could a box of crayons and walking meditation shift the culture in a Memphis juvenile detention center? So through these experimental and immersive art experiences, we've learned so much. And these insights continue to form inform our programs and our creative content, because not only do we um, facilitate programs, but we also, you know, create, we have a range of artists that, you know, create films and photography, books, art installations, um, immersive experiences. So we know there's a lot of, you know, content out there that's um, not necessarily conscious, that people are absorbing a lot of content. And, you know, we know that um, what you take into your body, whether it's food or content or sound or whatever it is around you, you know, it could be... Um, healing or it could be destructive. And we want to be the artists that take on that responsibility that, that create um, art um, that is nurturing, transformational, that highlights resilience and, um, and the power of the arts. Perhaps one of the first things I think you mentioned, even in your piece for um, the Phenomenal Women was that be what a bullet can't be. I live in Chicago. I see mm -hmm. things on the news daily. Um, and you just wonder if you could reach one more person, one more child, one more human with an outlet that wasn't that so that they saw hope and they saw, you know, their own, their own light and their own gifts. Like um, how does one convince a community a group to, to take that leap of faith with you that you can make a change? Well, I mean, I think it comes from what we talked about earlier is first it's building trust, you know, and being open to learning, not rolling into any situation thinking that you have all the answers because uh, no one does. And knowing that um, sometimes many times these act of, acts of violence uh, result from adverse childhood experiences, you know, also known as ACEs. So experiencing trauma as a child um, your brain develops differently if you're under constant stress and constant trauma. So by providing tools of creative expression and mindfulness tools to be able to have um, to coping strategies for, for, for toxic uh, stress, for trauma, 
Um, sometimes it's just that those things that allow you to slow down even just slightly to make a better decision. And sometimes, you know, by practicing those skill sets that you're able to even shift your thought process or shift into a higher brain state to be able to make better decisions. So um, that's what we hope to accomplish through our programs. How many people are taking part of the program currently? We, we've created a um, curriculum that 215 students just finished. Um, we also have a fellowship program that we support um, 10 student artists throughout the, the school year that they're all using their, their art um, and their powerful voices to, uh, to address important issues in their community. Um, we're also continuing to work in the juvenile detention center. And so, um, you know, there's the people that we work with directly and then how, um, how it also impacts their families and their communities. And we're just really hoping to create this ripple effect. Um, so whether people have a big engagement um, like a fellow or they have a small engagement where they watch a film once um, and see this inspirational content, um, we hope that that creates some sort of transformation and ripple effect. Well, I think back to our dinner when we were in Seattle after you, you recorded um, with Creative Live, and we went to that beautiful garden, mm-hmm. and there was, what, five or six of us, and, mm-hmm. and we did a, a like a mindful walk through the garden where we all, we all stopped, and we knew we had 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever we chose, and that has really stuck with me, and then I just recently reread Pieces Every Step. It's so timeless. It's so important. Um, how is that received with youth today? Because you know, we look back. It's it's old, right? But it's not old. It's still it's still so refreshing and new. How do you how do you weave in that kind of um, not even dogma, like just incredible literature to, and the mindset? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love I love pieces every step, and that's actually a book that helped me get through some uh, pretty difficult times in my own life, and. Um, if you uh, if you have time to go revisit uh, a writing called The River, it's one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, to answer, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh uh, and Martin Luther King Jr. were two of the greatest leaders of nonviolence and who used walking as a powerful practice and form of action. So they both also had strong connections to Memphis, which is where we live and work. And we're constantly drawing on the lessons and insights and collaborations of both of them to inform our work on how to reduce gun violence and promote peace um, in ourselves and in our communities. And so, you know, I think that, you know, walking walking meditation is a powerful way to just to slow down like we were talking before. It's even a great way to calm your nervous system. Uh, A powerful age old practice. How do you make that, you know, accessible? Well, everyone can walk. Right. And sometimes it's just challenging people to like slow down to half the pace you normally walk at and then maybe even slower than that. And if you do it long enough, so I mean, when you first start, it's like your body wants to fight against it because your mind wants to tell you you have lots of things to do. You have to get somewhere fast, but it's a practice, you know, and just like most practices is you want to practice it before you actually need it. So when you do need it, you know, when you have an argument with your spouse, your partner, or, you know, your day is getting really stressful and, you know, you have a few minutes to yourself and you can do this practice of just trying to slow down and return to your breathing. Um, you find it's pretty calming 
And so we've done this, you know, even in the juvenile detention center where uh, you were you were in a windowless room, um, you know, and having young men lead, uh, lead and participate in walking meditation. And uh, we call it slow walking, you know, because, uh, you know, it seems more approachable and accessible. And there was a group of young women in the detention center that decided they wanted to listen to um, a song and they, they adapted to sort of fit what felt right to them. And so that's the thing is like, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. These are tools that you can use um, different iterations uh, from whoever wants to implement them um, are always welcome. It is moment changing. And then that moment can end up being life changing. So it's, it's a great thing to have in your toolbox. Um, and you don't even realize how something so simple can have such a major impact. And I'm so glad that that is something that you're uh, sharing with more because I even mm -hmm. mentioned to my 24, almost 25 year old the other day, he got really bent about something. I'm like, can we breathe? Can we start yeah. with breathing? And then can we start with what do we have to think about this very second? And, you know, to quote another author, everything is figure outable. We can get there. It's okay. We're going to get okay. there. But maybe stopping's all right, you know, like, right. and, and hopefully we've all learned that a little bit um, this year, just because some things have just had to stop so that we can go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even with a small child, I mean, you know, I have a four-year-old daughter that does her deep breathing, you know, you just tell her to go sit and do some deep breaths and, you know, and I say, how do you feel? After she's done her four breaths, she said, much better, you know, or even with walking meditation, you can make it fun, like, all right, we're going to walk like a... We're going to walk as slow as a turtle, you know, we're going to, you can change the animal and make it fast or make it slow. My advice is kids like to go fast first before they like to go slow. But yeah, there are all, there are all these tools that we can share, you know, with ourselves, with our communities, with our families that sort of um, are great benefits to, um, to creating peace within ourselves so that we can be more peaceful in our communities. I think it's on your speaker page. You talk about the different topics that you cover. And I love when you mentioned lifting as we climb. So kind of going back to maybe being the first um, woman or any first of anything to do anything. What advice do you have since this podcast is mostly women for women who want to pursue careers in male dominated roles? Yeah. I mean, just to say there's nothing you can't do. And just because a role has been previously defined as male dominated doesn't mean we have to accept or honor those labels. You know, we belong at every table in every room in every profession we wish to be in. And by trailblazing, we're creating a space and representation that will redefine what the future looks like for our daughters. Uh, <laughs> you just said that you're expecting a second little one coming soon, yeah. but so perhaps that's what's phenomenal for you right now. But is there anything else on your horizon that you're super excited about? Or Yeah, well, I mean, at 36 weeks, um, a pregnant uh, phenomenal <laughs> right now feels like this amazing coconut-based ice cream called Not A New. <laughs> oh, yum. I've had that. <laughs> and I, I never really... Um, I never would never really peg myself as a vanilla bean person, but like this ice cream's pretty great. Um, so uh, I also been like having fun experimenting with essential oils and 
making my own cleaning products and making my house smell really great and peaceful. And, you know, in the time of COVID, there's not really, uh, you know, a lot we're doing outside of our houses. So um, trying to make my space uh, as spa-like as possible. <laughs> um, so that's been really, really great. Um, I highly recommend that. I'm excited to welcome a new baby into the world, a boy, which is, um, you know, out of my realm of understanding yet of being a, a boy mom, but I'm sure it will uh, teach me so many things just like my daughter has. So there's a lot to be excited about. I'm very excited for all of you. It'll be a great experience for your daughter and for you and your husband as well. That's exciting. So we have, as we get to the end of the show here today, we, I'm going to mention that in the show notes, um, we're going to have a giveaway for a, a copy of both um, Chasing Light and Reaching Higher. And then the how to win will be in the show notes. So please check out the okay. blog. But beyond that, um, how can people connect with you, learn more, have all the great work that you're working on currently and have in the past? You can follow me and Grounded on Instagram at uh, Grounded in Memphis or you know the book at Chasing Light. Or my personal page is a lucidon a l u c i d o n. Um, you can also pick up the books Chasing Light and Reach Higher. Chasing Light has a lot of my story about being a photographer and what that was like, uh, not just making the pictures, but the the stories behind the pictures and and just uh, what what an incredible transformation that was for me. Um, and like you said earlier at the top of the show, we uh, we reconnected at Creative Live, so I have an online course with Creative Live that. You know, it's not just about photography. It's uh, also about, you know, building a life and a career that you love. So any of those ways you can connect with us. Yes. And there'll be one of, um, one of the classes will also be up as part of the contest for the podcast. And everyone, I believe, would be able to um, access a 20% discount for your creative life class as well, which <laughs> is wonderful because I, I have been of creative life advocate since day one and it to be there in person and to see the magic happen and then the connections between everyone in the audience and the speaker and then going back online and watching the class later and seeing the comments from people who watched it from home it's pretty it's a pretty impressive way to really build community and I certainly know that's what I'm all about I know you are all about community so I'm so so glad to share your story and thank you so much for being on the show today Absolutely. And, you know, in those times where, you know, you were out there and you were also working on your project and you were able to do the piece that you mentioned that you're going to link to. And so I'm really proud that my, my headshot is by Amy Boyle. Oh, well, <laughs> so. I'm honored. It, it made my day. And when I was looking up all the notes for today, I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> That's pretty exciting things. And like you said, once you're connected, we're like arm in arm and, and we, uh, we lift, we lift each other. So thank you, Amanda. And and thanks to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe now as well as follow along at Speaking of Phenomenal on Instagram and 52phenomenalwomen.com. That's the number 52phenomenalwomen.com. See you soon.